Hello and welcome to the Spirit Guide Society podcast. My name is Pedro Shanahan and I'm your spirit guide. On today's podcast, we had Travis Tidwell in the Whiskey Society. Oh, travesty almost occurred. I saved the whiskey. Woohoo! Everybody starts screaming. A whole stadium of people freaking out. I didn't drop the awesome bottles of whiskey. Yes, it was our big evening, a rare Thursday night whiskey society at Seven Grand in downtown Los Angeles. Travis Tidwell, fresh off his vacation, tasted us on some marvelous marks. The undeniable 10-year, what was the second one we did? Our big Anno. Oh, Anno. I'm glad you said it because I always mispronounce it. And then I know how to say Oogadol. The Oogie, my buddy Oogie. And then the Cory Vrecken. Yep. Made up. from hair of maiden mermaids. Ah, that's folklore. Uh, Prince Brecken surviving three days in the Cory Vrecken to uh, take the daughter's hand in marriage. Uh, old folklore from, from the good old Isla folk. Uh, and then we finished it off with the latest private edition or Ardbeg Day release called Ardbeg Drum, which is a fantastic new Ardbeg that's uh, finished in rum casks. Quite a new experience from Ardbeg, something very different than what we traditionally do. But the, the Cory Vrecken is, it's an actual whirlpool. And when there's a full moon, you could get sucked under. There's mermaids down there. They've got long hair and they're drinking whiskey. Woohoo! Be sure to enjoy this podcast responsibly. That means don't get naked and run down your apartment building hall screaming in some weird Scottish broke. Not appropriate and it could get you arrested. Thanks for listening. Travis, you just got in from Greece. You were on vacation for a minute, like very I was. short. Well, I was in I was in Europe for 20 days, so quite a long vacation actually. But oh, it was great. it was amazing. It was a very fast-paced. Uh, I was I was basically the best man in one of my good friends' wedding, so traveled all over Europe with them. So yeah, it was pretty oh, awesome. That sounds amazing. Found some treasures. If I would have known it was going to be a small group, I would have brought maybe some of those treasures that I maybe. I found. Uh, next time I'll put some in the bag and. He was depending. saying that in some mom pop liquor store yeah. in Capri. In Capri, he found uh, a bottle of. Go ahead, tell him. Yeah, what you I found, found a bottle of Ardbeg ten year old from uh, 2008. So it was the very first uh, release of Ardbeg ten year old in the U.S. again, but in Italy is where I found it. So it's a. We have codes on the bottles that you can basically look at, and it'll tell you when it was made, when it was bottled, the specific run. Uh, so this particular bottle is an L3, which uh, is 2008. It's an L3 142, which means uh, that's the specific year and date we did it. Now the bottles are actually a lot easier to read, and they're more current. So this one says uh, this was bottled February 22nd. Uh, 2019 is when it was bottled. So um, it's basically a way for us as a, a company to track if anything were to happen with a specific batch. That never happens, but like if maybe something was in the bottle or you know maybe we accidentally bottled our big 21-year-old and put it into Corey Vrecken bottles, um, which we don't do anymore, but in the past that may have happened by accident. Um, not with us specifically, uh, but there was a whiskey that we did years ago called Serendipity, if, if you maybe heard, heard of it. Uh, it was not called Ardbeg because it was Ardbeg and something else. But back in the day, we used to own uh, Glenmorey. And in the vats, we had uh, some Glenmorey hiding in the pipeline uh, that we couldn't see visibly. Um, and then when they were going to bottle Ardbeg's 17-year-old, they dumped a bunch of Ardbeg's 17-year-old into the vat and it mixed with the Glen Murray, or Glen Murray, and um, that became Ardbeg Serendipity, or, or Serendipity as it's called. Um, also called Somebody Got Fired. I, no. No. Just kidding, and just kidding. Back then it was a different time and it's they- It's just Serendipity, no they, one has to get fired. They it's tasted okay. the whiskeys and, um, and in fact, it was actually quite a brilliant whiskey that tasted amazing. And if you ever see it on a shelf or in a bar, I highly recommend tasting it, because yeah. it truly is magnificent. Um, but you'll only see it in Europe, sadly, uh, because it wasn't a U.S. release. 
So, yeah, we do do that from time to time. Although accidents happen. Yeah. Luckily, it wasn't a distillery fire. Those are the worst. Yes, this is true. So give us a little history of the distillery itself, though. How yep. long has Ardbeg been in production? Sure. And then bring us up to, you know, right. where, we, where are we at now? Cool. So um, Ardbeg is one of, uh, kind of one of the original distilleries in Scotland and one of the original distilleries on Isla. Um, it's not the oldest, but it was one of the older ones. Uh, it was founded in 1815, same year as Laphroaig. Uh, so we just celebrated our 200 year anniversary a couple years ago, um, four years ago, in fact. And, um, you know, Lagavulin was 1816. So really that time around the 1800s is really when um, whiskey started booming in Scotland, but in particular Isla. That's when a lot of the uh, immigration was happening to Isla this small little coastal island uh, because of the fertile land, uh, the abundance of, of moisture where you can grow crops and grain, uh, as well as um, you know blackberries and bramble type fruit, and also for the sheep and cattle. So it was really, really fertile land. Um, and that's when a lot of people started immigrating to Isla. And of course, at the same time, they were also making whiskey for, for trade purposes and, and for, um, for currency, essentially. So. Um, that's when we had multiple distilleries on Isla. Um, sadly, some of them don't exist anymore, but um, Ardbeg is still there. We're lucky, we're very fortunate that it's, it's one of the nine distilleries now uh, on Isla. So, you know, if you would ask me 12, 13 years ago, there was only seven. In the last, you know, 10, 11 years, we now have uh, two additional distilleries, uh, which would be Kilholman and Ardenahoe. Ardenahoe just opened up a few weeks ago. Um, and that's the newest distillery on Isla. So that's kind of cool uh, that it shows that the island itself is very um, uh, plentiful and, and uh, it's a really good time for the island because a lot of uh, tourism is happening and a lot of people are coming over to this small little island where only 3,000 people live and it's uh, about 26 by 24 miles. So it's really this magical island. I think it's one of the best places on earth. Um, if I could live there, I totally would. Um, but my wife would kill me because she would never, never go for that. She's um, a California girl? Not, not born and somewhere. raised, California, Orange County. Uh, <laughs> not moving to Scotland. Yeah, not moving to Scotland. Have you to, ever had a Scottish blackberry before? Yeah. Are they different than American blackberries? Uh, they're fairly similar, but they're more intense. They're more kind of... Rough around the edges? Yeah, rough around the edges. They leave a little bit more of the pith and... and um, a little bit more tannic, I would say, but they're a lot more vibrant as well. So I'm I mean, from Oregon. We have great blackberries up there now. I didn't even know they had native yeah. blackberries in Scotland. Now I want to go eat some. Well, that's where the the bramble cocktail, right? Like that's one of the original. You just stir it with the bramble. Well, the the, the berries, uh, you know. Right, right. So yeah, I grew up in Yosemite, so we actually had wild blackberry bushes where I grew up too, so we would pick them and whatnot. A side story, anyway. <laughs> um, so yeah, so Ardbeg, eighteen fifteen. And most recently, we've had some uh, really rough history, right? So in the 80s, we all know about the whiskey kind of bubble bursting and uh, a lot of distilleries closed in the 80s. Um, over half of the distilleries in Scotland closed. Ardbeg is, was one of them. Um, at the time, we were owned by a company called Allied Demek, which also owned um, another small distillery on Isla called Laphroaig. Um, but Laphroaig was a little bit bigger than us in the 80s. So um, they made a decision to keep one of their distilleries to fulfill the contracts that they had in place with the major blending houses, because that's really what whiskey was in the 1980s, was a lot of blends, Dewar, Chivas, Johnny Walker. And so they closed Ardbeg because in, in that time they felt that a big peated whiskey could be interchangeable. Um, now we know that Ardbeg and Laphroaig are two very different styles even though they're both big, peated, smoky whiskey distilleries, and they have very different styles. Ardbeg is quite citrusy, quite tropical underneath all the smoke, where Laphroaig is that very intense, kind of meaty, mossy, earthy whiskey. Um, not to say one's better than the other, because they're both great, but they felt that they could interchangeably use the Laphroaig in the blends as opposed to Ardbeg. So Ardbeg closed from 1981, to 1997, but there was a little bit of distillation going on in 1990, 91, 92, 93, and 94, um, and that was because Ardbeg did have contracts that we had to fulfill um, because we had contracts. So the team from Laphroaig 
would go and make whiskey one week out of the year at, at Ardbeg, and they would fulfill those contracts. And that's where some of our whiskeys from, you know, like, you know, the R&M Beast, if you're familiar with that Ardbeg release, which was distilled in 1990, um, and some of the older Ardbegs that we've just released called the 20-something series. Thank you. Um, Thank you, Mick. Those were uh, from that same era, from the 90s. So if you ever see Ardbeg from 90 through 95, know that that whiskey is very, very rare, and, and it's really quite special because it was only made one week out of the year, um, whereas now we're at full capacity. And in fact, the first time ever, we're expanding the Ardbeg distillery, and we're going from two stills to four, and we're also expanding our you know, six Oregon pine washbacks to 12 Oregon pine washbacks. So we're now going from a 1.6 million liter a year capacity to a 3.2 which is pretty monumental for Ardbeg, especially, yeah. Scaling up major. Yeah, but it's for the future. So we're, we're making whiskey for t tomorrow, essentially, mm -hmm. um, because it takes you know 10 years to make the whiskey that we have in our hands. What a perfect timing. I didn't, yes. even, I didn't even plan that. Um, <laughs> so Mick came around with a little taster for you all of the Ardbeg tenure. Is that right? Yep. First thing we're getting yep. at here? You can tell by the color. It's quite light and straw. Um, this is a whiskey that we solely mature in bourbon casks. And um, when we first purchased the distillery in 1997, uh, it was the Glen Morangy company that purchased it and resurrected it. Still the same company. And we had the same master distiller named Dr. Bill Lumsden, who has his PhD in biochemistry with an emphasis on yeast, his undergrad in brewing and distilling from Harriet and Watt, blah, blah, blah. He's a genius made to make whiskey. Uh, so. One of the first things that he did when he reopened this distillery is he implemented a much better wood policy or cask management policy for Ardbeg. So in the past, Ardbeg would use any type of barrel they could get their hands on. And that's why a lot of the old, old Ardbegs pre-closure from the 70s are so different. They're so all over the place. Um, there's some lightly peated, there's some medium peated, there's some heavy sherry, there's some bourbon casks, there's some red wine casks. They're really all over the place. Now we have a very consistent and kind of core management of what we use at Ardbeg and the casks that we use in production. So the 10-year-old is always going to be bourbon casks. And that's why you see it's quite light in color. It's because we're using those first and second fill bourbon casks, which typically don't give a lot of color as opposed to like a red wine cask or a sherry cask, which would give that much darker influence uh, mm. into the actual whiskey. A ruddiness for sure. Yeah. Where are you getting your bourbon casks? Uh, so we build half of our casks ourselves out of the Ozark Mountains of Missouri. We then air season them for 36 months uh, and then we'll lease them to Jack Daniels for four years. I mean, to a distillery in Tennessee. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> we lease it to them for four years and then they send it back to us. And we have a partnership with them because prior to Moet Hennessy purchasing the Glenmorangie company in 2003, all of the Glenmorangie and Ardbeg products were imported by Brown Foreman. So we have a partnership with them before, you know, Moet Hennessy. So we still have a very good partnership with them. Um, so um, half of the barrels are the ones that we build ourselves. The other half are being sourced from the various producers in Kentucky, Jim Beam, Maker's Mark, Wild Turkey, Heaven Hill, you know, all, all the big guys basically. Right on. So let's stick our noses in these glasses. Breathe in gently through your mouth. Tell me what you're experiencing as you smell this Ardbeg 10-year. So one thing that I, I didn't really mention uh, while we're nosing and tasting, I want you to, to think Ardbeg is technically the smokiest whiskey on Isla for production. We make and peat our barley at 55 phenolic parts per million. That's the specification we give to Port Ellen who do all the commercial malting for, well, not all, 85% of the commercial malting for Isla. All the barley that's being used on Isla is more or less coming from Port Ellen. So we give them different specifications of what we want our barley to be at as far as a smokiness level. This particular whiskey or Ardbeg's core products are uh, 55 phenolic parts per million with a five degree variant. So we can go as high as 60 and as low as 50. And that's for our regular production. In the past, we have done experiments like Supernova mm -hmm. and things like that where, where the, the barley comes in at 100 phenolic parts per million. And one of my all-time favorites, um, 
which people think is sacrilege, and I've met a lot of people who hate this whiskey, is Ardbeg Blazda, which was a very, very lightly peated Ardbeg. And I think it's really beautiful. I think it's a really elegant style of Ardbeg, but only available in the UK. So that was a, a, a release that was about 20 years ago, so quite a rare one as well. It was also one of the few Ardbegs from the actual distillery that was bottled in clear glass as opposed to a green glass. So it's quite a different one as well. What are you getting on the nose, guys? I'm getting like there's a peanutty note, but also this like beautiful like piney or mm -hmm. something really, really green and evergreen essence in there as well. It has pine resin for sure. That's one of the classic Ardbeg uh, nosing aromas or tasting notes. Uh, also, there's a lot of citrus in there, but it's really on underneath the smoke. It's quite hidden. Um, and that's really why I love some of the older Ardbeg expressions because the peat falls off. But I also really like Blazda because the peat is very subtle and you really get a lot of those tropical kind of citrus fruits that come through on, on that particular whiskey. So yeah, I'm smelling weird cantaloupe underneath mm -hmm. the smoke a little bit. Yeah, perhaps. melon. Um, there's a little bit of lime zest in there as well, if you can get that. Um, but when you give it a taste, you'll notice it's a big burst of smoke. It's quite rich and oily, but you'll also notice this really creamy, kind of sweet texture on the mid palate. Um, yeah, so tap some over your tongue, guys. What are you guys getting here? No wrong answers. It's all about your experience, your memories. Mm. That's what, how your palate works. What are you guys getting? Tap it over your tongue. Quite salty as well. Mm. This is a oh yeah, briny too. I get like yeah. this cool like ocean brine. Yeah, definitely seaweed. Inky. It's beautiful though. It does have like some great fruitiness in there. So Ardbeg is located on the southern coast of Isla. So that's where um, we're known as the Big Three or the Kildalton Trio. Uh, so we're neighbors with Lafroig and Lagavulin. So that's we are known for producing that big smoky and sometimes salty style because we're right on the, the coast of the, uh, the Atlantic on the southern, southern bit. So yeah. So what's the proof on that 10 year? So this is 46%. Um, so I, I forgot to mention, but all our bags are natural color and they're also all non-chill filtered. So when you non-chill filter a whiskey, you're bottling it at a minimum of 46% because that's the the alcohol strength that it'll remain in solution at room temperature or in higher altitude. So if you were to non-chill filter a whiskey and then bottle it at 40%, nine times out of 10, this would probably be cloudy at room temperature, or if you took it up to the mountains or something like that, it would, it would look hazy. Um, but all those fusel oils are flavors. A yep. lot of times when they do that chill filtration, you're going to lose a lot in the flavor profile. It'll, it'll clean up the way that the flocking that occurs in the glass, which some people find to be unappealing. But really, all those oils are what you want in your glass. I'd rather have my whiskey taste bigger, better, more flavorful, and be slightly hazy if I were to add a little bit of water or ice to it. But that's just me. Hell yeah. I, I, yep. So what are we looking into tonight? We have a really interesting selection. So that's your, your forebear there, the, mm -hmm. the tenure, the classic. Yep. And now Mick is going to come around with a little taster of the Anoa. Yeah. Is that how I pronounce it? Uh, Terrible. Ano. Ano. So Ano is, Ano, ano it. Uh, it means the round. Uh, basically, we wanted to create a whiskey. Well, the Glen Morangy Company wanted to create a whiskey that would be a little bit more approachable in style than the classic 10-year-old because for a lot of people who are getting into this uh, peated whiskey category or moving over from you know bourbons, scotches, uh, single malts to a peated whiskey, it's quite a shock. Um, most people aren't familiar with that big, rich, robust, full-flavored style. So the 10-year-old can be a little bit intimidating. So we wanted to create a style of whiskey that was a little bit softer, a little bit more rounded. And that's actually what Ano means. It means the round. So the way we did that is, well, the way Dr. Bill did that is he took a couple different parcels of whiskey that we make at Ardbeg, predominantly Ardbeg 10-year-old, which is matured in those bourbon casks. And then we take 25% of the whiskey from new charred oak or virgin American oak, which is pretty quirky and weird. We don't use a whole lot of virgin oak in Scotch whiskey because it can be a little bit too dominant. It can give 
too much to the whiskey too quickly. And then we balance that out actually with another really intense full flavored type of cask uh, called PX or Pedro Jimenez, which is a very syrupy, sweet, full flavored um, type of, of sherry that we then season that cask with. So we take all those kind of quirky, weird types and then we marry them together in a neutral French oak marrying vat that's about 30,000 liters. So we take those- That's the, a big barrel. Yeah, it's a big barrel. Um, and then we have two feeder vats that are 10,000 liters that go into it. So the idea behind it is we're never gonna let that vat go below 50%, but we keep putting more whiskeys on top of it. And we let the whiskey sit for a minimum of six months to allow all those flavors to really come together to kind of create this sweet, smoky, soft, round, but still kind of undeniably Ardbeg whiskey. Uh, and that's, that's what we've done here. Uh, a little history about the whiskey or the specific place on O. Um, on Isla, on the southern coast, there's uh, a peninsula called the Mole of O, which is a round peninsula that sticks out. And it actually shelters and protects the three southern distilleries, being us and our two friends that start with L's. Um, so, the Mole of O is a round peninsula that, that shelters and protects. But during World War I, uh, we had some US ships actually off the coast of Isla. And sadly, that area can get really rough. And there's a lot of fog. And there wasn't a lighthouse. So one of the warships actually ran onto reef. And uh, it, it sank, sadly. That was the uh, Toscana. And then another one of the US warships, two months later, uh, ran into another one of our warships and tore a, a big gash in the hole, and that was the Arantro. So the people of Isla, this small little community, took and, and brought up all those lost soldiers uh, at sea and gave them a proper burial. And the American Red Cross built something called the American Monument, and it's a, a round monument that sits on the edge of that peninsula called the, the American Monument, but it's on the, the Mole of O. So really quite a commemorative place, and. Uh, really quite a special place, uh, thank you, for Isla. And it, and it just reinforces me and this uh, magical, beautiful island and the people are so genuine and nice that they would take and bring all this tragic event. And the rough sea, the, the coastline of Isla is not very easy access. So they brought up about 3,000 soldiers and gave them proper burials on Isla. So it's really quite a special place. So oh, that's tragic. That's a lot of folks. Yeah, that was back in the you know World War One, so it was different times, but mm. it's still quite tragic, really. Um, but it is a, a beautiful place. Uh, I highly recommend if you ever go out to to hike up to the Mole of O. It's, it's it's beautiful. You can see the whole coastline. If you want, I have pictures of it on my phone. I'd be happy to share. All right. So here it is. The the Anno. Yep. So stick your nose in that glass, breathe in gently through your mouth. What are you guys reminded of, uh, reminded of as you smell this Ardbeg and O? You'll, you'll notice that the whiskey is a little bit darker in color as well. That's because of the virgin oak, and it's also because of the PX sherry. So a little bit more influence on the color. Um, but you'll notice the nose is quite predominantly sweeter. It has a lot more uh, red fruits, if you will, or... Cherry. Yeah, I smell that cherry for sure. And the lemon, for some reason, the, I'm getting even more of that citrus. I mm -hmm. like get a really sharp like citrus note underneath that cherry yeah. and the smoke. So like a little bit of a hybrid action using a bourbon process on what's traditionally not usually done with scotches. I mean, bourbon's not really a huge seller in Scotland. People nope. don't like that full, robust flavor profile that you get from that first charred oak use yep. most of the time. So was this kind of designed for the American palate? Was that the idea here, you think? Uh, I would say it's kind of a combination of both, yeah. Um, what's really nice about using new charred oak is if you use it in small portions, you can add a lot of richness and depth to a whiskey quite quickly. Um, so I would gander that this is not a very old whiskey. I would say it's probably in the eight to 12 year range, but using that virgin oak gives it that viscosity and gives it that spice and that richness that you're tasting um, that sometimes can take 15 to 20 years in a first or second filled barrel. If you're using a third or fourth barrel, you can let the whiskey sit for you know, 25, 30, 40 years. And that's really when you get something beautifully complex and magic, but it takes 30 to 40 right. years. You know, The more times you use a barrel, the less oak, oak influence and, and the more complexities you'll get longer term 
but it takes a lot longer to get there. What are you guys getting on this one here? So share your food words. There's no wrong answers here. No. What, what do you get never as you smell this one? What do you smell? I definitely get some of those classic like egg virgin oak characters like that green and a little bit of that vanilla and coconut. Nice. So what are you getting as you tap it over your tongue, guys? Sometimes the nose will tell you one thing, the tongue will lead you in completely different directions. Hui, what are you getting, man? Man, you know, uh, classic art bag in terms of like sort of the flavor and all that good stuff. It's a lot of sweetness to me that I'm really enjoying right now. It's a lot more mellow than something like a, something full on, something a bit older, but um, I, I think it's vibrant. I think it's bright. I think it's still got that lovely smoke. The char brings out like a prickly pear kind of vibe to me. I get this like cool like lemon and banana on the finish as well. Still the tropical fruits even come out more on this one for me. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I think the 10 year old is big, salty, briny, but underneath it all, when you let it sit in the glass for a while, that's really when you start tasting some of the softer, subtle characteristics. Um, our big 10 year old opens up really, really well. Whereas I think the Anno is really approachable just right away out of the glass um, because it was kind of designed for that. So um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's beautiful. Uh, and I think it is a, a great little way to, to try something a little bit different. You know, I think it's kind of a hybrid between the 10-year-old and Ugadel. Because um, Ugadel is very big, rich, intense, full flavored. And the 10-year-old's the all salt, brine, traditional Isla, whereas the Anno is kind of a, a right in between, which is so, nice. In terms of what I'm going to pay at my local liquor store, where does the price point land for the Ardbeg 10 as opposed to the Anno? Yep, so um, Ardbeg 10 is around 39 to 49.99. Wow. Uh, Brilliant. KNL I think has it for 39.99 and they're pretty much the best when it comes to Ardbeg prices, I would say. Uh, Anno is just a few dollars more. So, wow, really delicious. Uh, I'm getting a chocolatey finish on that too yeah. with that the PX mixing with the with the bourbon cask. It's really chocolatey on the finish. It's quite nice. Yeah. Any questions so far? Any and, and does that French oak marrying tongue, does it influence the flavor at all substantially? So it's, um, it's neutral French oak. So it's actually French oak that's been spent, right? So um, it doesn't leak or anything, but the oak is not influencing the whiskey. What's really happening in that vessel is all those interesting cask types are coming together. They're rounding out together. Kind of like the best example I could use is, you know, when you make a stew or a soup or a uh, pasta sauce, you let that pasta sauce or soup sit in the fridge for a couple days and it tastes so much better the next couple of days because all the flavors have really integrated. And that's kind of what we're doing with the whiskey as well. That used to be a very traditional classic method of making whiskey, you know, 20, 30 years ago when there wasn't a rush to get everything to market. But that's kind of fallen out of favor because everybody wants to get their whiskeys to market immediately. You know, and you're seeing companies that are having three, four releases a year now of different whiskeys, right? They're coming out with these special editions and things like that almost two to three times a year now. Whereas that, in the past, that was uh, not the way things were done, you know? So it's just, we live in a much more fast-paced environment as well. Um, so we have to kind of keep up with that, sadly. I wish we could go back a little bit and slow down and enjoy, um, and that's probably why I love Isla so much, because the Wi-Fi barely even works there. Ah, yes. You know? so, oh, I um, crave that. True story, like I was staying at the Isla Hotel, and um, it's a small hotel, there's only like 12 rooms, and the Wi-Fi only works in the lobby. If you go up to your room, which is directly above the lobby, your Wi-Fi doesn't work. I swear to God. I swear to God, it doesn't work. You can't even like call your significant other on, on FaceTime or anything like that because the Wi-Fi just doesn't work. So everybody's in the lobby like talking and messaging because, you know. So give us an idea. Like say you were going to plan a visit to Scotland and you want to go to Isla. Yeah. Like would you plan on like, oh, I'm going to go all over Scotland and then I'm going to go to Isla. Like, how long does it take to get around in Scotland? Especially if you're going to go yeah. to Isla, should that be its own trip or can you just tag it on in Depen a couple days? How does yeah. it work? It depends on how long you're going for. Um, I would highly recommend spending at least three days on Isla. But I love peated whiskeys. I would imagine everybody in this room is like-minded <laughs> like as well. 
So there's nine distilleries now, and realistically, you can hit two to three distilleries per day. Ardbeg, Laphroaig, and Lagavulin are all very close, so those are easy. Um, with that being said, the other distilleries are not that far. The furthest ones out are Bunahavan and Kalila, um, and they're on the northeast side. But like realistically, from Beaumont, that's like a 35-minute drive, so it's not that far. But you know, tasting whiskeys and each distillery, you're tasting three to six whiskeys, give or take. Um, you know, sometimes more. And you know, you want to break it up a little bit. Oh so, yeah, you're um, also driving a rental car with the wheel on the wrong side, driving on the wrong side of the road. Well, the beautiful very hungover. The, the beautiful thing about Isla is there's not two two sides of the road. It's just one small narrow road that you have to pull over if somebody's coming. So, so you can't drive on the wrong side because there's literally only one one lane. Yeah. Um, and so if that's, you pull over to the wrong side, they're going to know you're an American. Well, yeah, that's <laughs> true, I guess. Um, well, the really way they 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 know you're you're American is if you don't do the Isla wave. So the Isla wave is everybody drives with their hand on the steering wheel, and everybody as as they're coming by and passing, you you raise two fingers off the wheel. And that's, that's the Isla wave. Everybody waves to everybody on Isla. I swear to God, everybody. Even if you don't know them, you, you wave. And that's how you immediately tell uh, you know, who's, a, who's not from Isla. And, and getting up to the island is not easy, right? Like no. how many ferries go? I mean, it's not like there's a bridge nope. to Isla. You yeah. have to take a, a, a ferry. And so yeah. how often does that ferry run? Or do you take a little plane? So there's a couple options. Um, if you are dead set on a schedule, plan for the ferry. Because the ferry, nine times out of 10, will make it over to Isla. Um, if you're not dead set, then fly. Because flying is only, it's a 35 minute flight. It's shorter than the Vegas flight from, from here, right? But it only lands about 50 to 60% of the time because of the weather, because of the fog, and because of the rain. So if they can't see the runway, they won't land. So I've been stuck on Isla tw twice, twice, and I've been a couple times, right? I've been, I think, to Isla six times. Thank you. But I've been stuck on Isla two out of the six times because we flew. So, um, but now they just opened up flights. Originally, there was only flights from Glasgow to Isla, and those fly twice a day, one in the morning, 9 a.m., and one at e in the evening at 5 p.m. But now they just opened a flight from Edinburgh to Isla as well with another company. So now there's two operating airlines that go to Isla. So you have a little bit better chance, but Edinburgh is about an hour drive from Glasgow, so it's not like easy per se, but it is a little bit easier from like Glasgow or Edinburgh if you were staying there to drive to the ferry terminal. There's a couple different ones, but the main one that goes to Isla and is the quickest is a ferry terminal called Kennecraig, and it's about a two and a half hour drive from Glasgow or, or Edinburgh to that ferry terminal. And then you're not, you've got another two and a half hour ride on the ferry over to, to the island. So, but it's beautiful. I mean, you get to see the entire coastline of, of, of Scotland. It's magical, it's beautiful. The ferry's not too shabby either. It's actually quite a big one. They can put about 50 cars on it, so uh, you know it's, it's not too bad um, once you get on the ferry. And they serve beer and whiskey. Oh, they were great. So, Everything's yeah. fine. Take yeah. as long as you want. Exactly, yeah. So Mick has come around with the Oogadol yep. for you all now. So what are the origins of the Oogadol, Travis? So Oogadol was one of our original releases um, that became one of the permanent releases. It was the, the very second release or second whiskey that became part of the core range. It's a mixture of bourbon cask Ardbeg and Oloroso sherry cask Ardbeg. It's a little bit older as well. Excuse me. So the bourbon cask is, is the younger portion of the whiskey in it where the Oloroso Sherry is actually the older uh, parcels of whiskey that go into it. So uh, you're looking at about 12 to 16 years old on this whiskey, um, but it is a lot bigger as well. So we bottled this one at 54.2%. So it's much more of a, a full flavored, rich spice, dried fruit, smoked meats, kind of classic. I smell ham in there. Smoked, sm smoked baby back ribs on a barbecue. 
with like a dry rub spice. That's what I get. Oh, uh, wow. That's I very also, specific. I also really like baby back ribs. Uh, <laughs> so it reminds me of that. Um, what are you guys getting this? You smell, stick your nose in that glass and get into this Oogadol. What does the Oogadol mean? Wow. Really good. <laughs> it means it's really good. So Ugadel means dark and mysterious place, um, and it's actually the name of the lake or the loch that we use to, to make all the Ardbeg whiskey. So Loch Ugadel is about five miles north of the distillery in somebody's backyard. You have to trudge and hike and dodge some highland cows. And if you do that tour with us, usually they bring along a tasty treat bottle that you can enjoy on the way up. Which is quite a nice, uh, quite a nice way to, to hike up to Lock Ugadel. And usually, when you get to Lock Ugadel, there's a bottle of Ugadel waiting as well. How convenient! Um, so you may have a dram of that as well. But um, from there, it travels into a smaller holding lake called Aranam Beast, which means where the beast feed or drink. From there, it gets a like it goes into another holding dam called Charlie's Well, and then from there it uh, gets gets sent to the distillery via pipeline, but gravity-fed, just natural flow. Um, and then we treat the water, reverse osmosis, and then we use all that water to make Ardbeg. Wow, brilliant. And what are the different casks Bourbon, involved? bourbon and Oloroso sherry. Okay, Equal okay. parts, so about 50% bourbon to 50% Oloroso. That's why it's also a little bit darker in color, quite a bit more rich. Uh, oh, yeah. Dried fruit, sherried influence, if you will. Big chocolate notes on the finish. Yeah. What are you guys getting? Share your experiences. No wrong answers here, guys. Come on now. Mm. Mm. Yeah, some cherry for sure. Cherry and chocolate. Smoke. Say again? Shard peaches. Yeah. Shard peaches. Nice. I'm getting a little bit of like a. If you ever have had Coca Cola that's slightly watered down and you leave it sit to where it loses all its carbonation. Uh huh. I'm getting a little bit of that as well. Old flat Coke. Old flat Coke. Hui, what are you getting, man? Well, to speak to uh, Travis talking about Coke and uh, baby back, you know, it's Dr. Pepper is a baby back rib rub and all that good stuff. Um, yeah. Getting a ton of all that stuff, a lot of sweetness, like I would get in a rub as well. It's definitely not like a dry, smoke, Ooh. salty sort of thing. Um, yeah, it's, it's a lot chocolatier than I remember last time I having it, and I'm, I'm enjoying it. So we make all of our whiskeys in batches, right? We try to make them consistently universal, <coughs> uniformed. This is a pretty darn good batch. Um, oh, yeah. I remember, like, this is tasting better to me than me too. I remember. I mean, all the Ardbeg whiskeys always taste good, but every once in a while, you, you taste a batch, and it's just like, wow, this is a little bit. Some extra honey barrels yeah, in Yeah, exactly. Batch. And, and we all know that here at Seven Grand because of the single barrel program. and you know, them selecting these amazing barrels. Sometimes you just get one of those barrels, it's just, you know, a home run. Speaking of which, how many barrels go into a batch, approximately? It depends. Um, for our big 10-year-old, I would say it's around 50 to 80 barrels. So it's, okay. it's not too big, but it's not too small. It's not small. tiny, no, it's not but, tiny. But Ugadel and Corey Brecken are much, much lower. Yeah, they're a little bit smaller. Are there, I know from visiting different distilleries in Scotland, there are times of year where sometimes the distillery isn't running. Yep. How many months a year are you guys actually making whiskey? Are you, you said you're, you're upscaling your production yep. massively. Does that mean you're gonna be running seven days a week, yep. two shifts a day, or like what's the plan? Are you gonna be, you guys produce whiskey nine months a year or 12 months a year, what's the deal? We produce um, right now pretty much full time, so 24 seven. Uh, we have full shifts. We've been running seven days a week. Um, and that's because we're trying to build back up inventory at Ardbeg because of the rough history that we had where we were open and closed multiple times. But we also sat on that 16 year gap in production. So it's, it, it's only just until now that we've actually been able to create that new product called Anno and have that as a core consistent range. Um, but we do close for about three weeks um, for holiday for all the guys to go on holiday and then we'll close for an additional two weeks later for maintenance. Um, so we close about five weeks out of the year. And that's pretty standard for, for distilleries that are running full capacity, because you really need that, that, that two week to three week period 
to um, make sure that everything is running properly and fix Repair anything. The stills. Yeah, fix anything that would have been damaged or is going bad. Um, so yeah, that is typically maintenance happens during the guy's holiday, but sometimes we'll close and do um, some safety ops and make sure, and we'll also do some experiments, maybe. You know. I like experiments. Yeah. So, right on. Um, yeah. So, speaking of experiments, what is Mick coming around with now? Uh, so this is Corey Vrecken. I'm still sipping on uh, Ugadal. I'm, I'm still into the Ugadal as well. It's pretty, pretty tasty. For all of our core products, um, the whiskeys are usually coming from the same distillate. The only difference is the barrel maturation or the casks that we're using at Ardbeg. With that being said, we have done some experiments like Supernova, but those are more limited one-off uh, additions. So we've done four iterations of Supernova. And maybe it's time to do another one. The distillery DNA of Ardbeg is quite a fruity, complex new make with some banana notes, but it also has smoked bacon and barbecued meats. Uh, it definitely has like a smoked, smoked meat quality to it. Um, sometimes that can get lost or covered up, but I think it really shows through in Ugadol and actually Anno. I think the smoked meat quality comes through, uh, as well as the 10. This one, uh, Corey Vrecken, is completely different. Um, this is actually uh, utilizing some of those virgin oak again, but it's uh, actually virgin French oak, which is a different species of wood, which is a lot richer a lot more tannic, um, and it gives a lot more floral but spicy characteristics to the whiskey. But it produces big, spicy, kind of tannic characteristics on the palate, but then you'll get some of the softer vanillas and sweetness on the back end. But it is quite a big one. It's bottled at 57.1. Wow, yeah. So, um, but when you taste it, I don't think you'll notice that heat per se. It's spicy, but it doesn't have that heat kind of presence that maybe you can taste in some of uh, the bigger bourbons, if you will. It doesn't have that sharpness. It's got big, yeah, it's, 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 it's oily and fatty. I get this big, like, rubbery smoke. It's really great. That's and good. then, like, yeah, cherries and chocolate underneath it. It's toffee, too, like nutty, yep. like almond and toffee and dark chocolate. Yep, a little bit of, like, salted caramel toffee. Yeah, totally, totally. What are you guys getting? Cotton candy. Cotton candy, wow, all right. Hot sauce. Hot sauce. Hot sauce. All right, yeah, that's all right. a spicy. That's a spicy green chili. It definitely has that. It's a. It's definitely got like that chili pepper type flavor on the nose. When I get it on my tongue, I do get those green chilies. Yeah. Like really intense, like a, like nopales, like grilled cactus or, or prickly pear. Really beautiful. Yeah. Hui, what are you getting? I, got, I love that like soft, supple, like sort of oakiness on it. It's definitely very much not an American oak, virgin oak sort of taste. Um, but uh, there's tons of that wood, and it's, I'm surprised you kept it in the barrel for that long, and it's still not like overbearing. It's not overly over oaked, over tannic, or anything like that. Yeah. Beautiful. I love this Corv record. And how small are the batches that these releases tend to be? Here? This is going to be a lot smaller. It's going to be about the same size as Ugadal, so about 50, 50 to 60 casks. Yeah, this yeah. is like a Christmas time whiskey for me. The Corey Brecken is like totally holiday. Yep. It's got so much spice, so much complexity. It's it's like an end of the night whiskey, something you could definitely, the last dram of the evening right here. So much complexity, it gives you so much yep. to work on for so long, you know? Beautiful. I, I also, um, I have to ask, so I always ask this. I typically find that you're either a Corey Brecken or an Ugadol person. <laughs> so I, I'd like to see a show of hands. Who, who prefers the Ugadol? And, oh, and who prefers the Cory Vrecken? Yeah. And it's usually pretty split. Um, I'm personally an Ugadol fan. I am. But I'm, I'm, that Ugadol we tasted tonight, I have to say, is better good. than I've ever yeah. tasted. That's a special batch. Yeah. The L3 Ugadol is pretty special too. But that's 2008, so long, long time ago. Um, but I guess the, the real reason everybody's here, right, is to taste the Ardbeg drum. Right, is everybody excited about this? Yeah? yeah. The Ardbeg drum. So this represents kind of a shift a little bit in the, in the overall kind of flavor profile. Mm -hmm. I mean, not going away from the DNA like Ever was asking about, but yep. definitely kind of 
maybe looking for a new scotch drinker, someone who's not as into like either the Ugadal or the Cory Brecken. Am yeah. I right? Yeah, um, but I think this is more just Dr. Bill wanting to experiment. As we mentioned, Dr. Bill likes to give his whiskeys project names. Um, like a couple years ago, we did Ardbeg Dark Cove. That was Project Badger Juice. Because um, Ardbeg is an anagram for badger, so you can rearrange the letters and spell badger out of Ardbeg. So, so yeah, this, this particular whiskey was called Project Ardbeg. Um, and that's because... <laughs> That's because, uh, because Dr. Bill wants to be a pirate when he grows up. Well, and back in the day around the Caribbean, there was a lot of smuggling and rum smuggling. Um, so this is a specific whiskey that is aged in rum casks, which to my knowledge, this is the first Ardbeg I've seen that's actually been aged in, um, in rum. So this is going to be quite a different experience because Ardbeg typically isn't uh, aged in rum, and most scotches or most whiskeys actually don't spend a lot of time in rum because it's a very influential um, kind of characteristic. You can put a lot of molasses flavor on there for I sure. I mean, I'm getting butterscotch right away off the nose. So a lot of times those rums have a lot of like really intense fruity notes. These are, this, this brings a different kind of fruitiness that none of the other marks that we've smelled so far have and had. It, and it has a little bit of funkiness as well. Yeah. And that's because of where the rum is coming from. So back in the day, we used to have a distillery manager named Hamish Tory. He still works on the Ardbeg brand, but he used to manage a distillery in Guyana which uh, is a very unique kind of part of the world where they make rum, but there's really only one distillery. Demerara Distillers Limited? It's in the Demerara River Valleys where Demerara sugar comes it from. It has something to do with <laughs> Distillery? Uh, oh, okay. Oh, okay. I, yes, yes. I didn't say that. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, so... Yes. Some funky, funky rum. Yeah. So you know what rum is produced there, the U.S. label. They have um, some really ancient stills there at that distillery. It's yes. really, really an amazing place. And I it's would a, love to go. They have, a, they have a couple different combination setups, too. So they can run 100% pot distillation, and they can run batch uh, continuous with, with uh, pot distillation. So they make some pretty funky unique rums there as well. Um, so yeah, it produces some really interesting flavors because most of the rum, I've been really into rum lately um, because it's still one of those products that you can get a really aged product for a fairly reasonable price. Oh, it's the best bargain in the liquor world um, right now, I think. But with that being said, it's also kind of the wild, wild west where none of the regulations are enforced. So you kind of have to do your research and really know what you're getting and what you're buying to kind of fully understand, I guess. But you know, like, it's it's kind of cool. There's so many different styles. It's also one of the few spirits that can be made anywhere in the world yeah. from a sugar byproduct. And you can still call it rum. Yeah. So there's pretty so many open. different styles because of that. And it produces some pretty cool, fun flavors within that. So um, definitely a unique, different experience for Ardbeg as well, because we've never really done any rum cask aging. We've done it years ago with Glenn Morangy, but it wasn't really a big hit. Um, where this, I think it kind of adds an extra layer of flavor to it. Yeah, what are you guys getting as you smell this Ardbeg drum? Why is it called the drum? I think you'll notice as well on the label um, that it has kind of these fun carnival type influence on the back. You can see Shorty with his little fruit cornucopia on his head. So um, we were celebrating the spirit of Carnival for this particular release. And Carnival is a big party. It's a big uh, tradition in the Caribbean where they celebrate music, food, dance, culture, and they, they, they party and drink a fair bit as well. But in that culture in Trinidad, Tobago, Jamaica, there's a lot of drum influence in their actual music as well. And that's why we decided to call it drum. Ironically, back in the day, they also used to store whiskey in drums. Um, 
So kind of like oil drums, but it was actual alcohol drums. So it's another kind of play into that as well. So yeah, definitely a lot of tropical grilled pineapple, kind of charred tropical fruits. Any other uh, specific flavors? I get that grilled pineapple. Yep. Bananas Foster's. Bananas Foster's, yeah, oh, I like it. It's gorgeous. And it comes in a pretty cool box as well, if that means anything to you, if you like you the box. You can play it like a drum. It's a little tiny cajon. You could, actually, yeah. Or a djembe. There you go, I'm down. Yep. Wow. Anyways, I grew up in Yosemite. Uh, I grew so, up in Oregon. <laughs> we, we had drum circles with me and my buddies and, yeah. and then, uh, that's a bunch of saw. hippies, you know? That's what I thought. I thought this is a sign that Dr. Bill's going hippie on us. All right. Have you seen the pictures of him with his mullet? No. You should, you should Google Dr. Bill Lumsden, and he's got pictures from like 10 years ago where he has the best mullet. It's the best. It's like epic. He's in his little like, his scientist white coat in his lab, labor, laboratory, as he calls it, but he's got a full on mullet. It's like amazing. All right, it's That's pretty totally awesome, brilliant. yeah. So, wow. Ah, I love this one too. Yeah. I'm, but that Oogadol tonight is just so striking. Yeah, okay. it's can't get over pretty it. Pretty tasty. You guys have any other questions for Travis tonight? And, and how big are your stills? And does that lend at all to the yeah, so meat quality? And yes, and I should have talked about it. Uh, our big stills are quite big and fat, but they're quite short. And, and they're more like a tea cap uh, still. So what I mean is they're like a china cap on top, and then they're very big uh, on the bottom. But on the spirit still on the line arm, we have a purifier which is a weird engineering nub or marvel that was put in place in the 1910-ish period. Uh, we don't know exactly when, we just know that it showed up in, picture, in pictures around 1910. And what that does is it traps some of the whiskey through distillation and there's a pipe down, there's a pipe on the bottom of it that goes all the way back into the base of the still. So some of the whiskey is actually getting continuously distilled through that purifier and it acts like our short stills are actually a lot taller than they are because we're creating more reflux through distillation because of that. Interesting. So it's kind of weird. There's only it's about tricky still. There's only about 10 distilleries in Scotland that have a purifier and we're the only one on Isla. Yeah. But typically it adds a lot more complexity in the whiskey. Um, so yeah, it's like a column. And it's not really a column. It's, it's definitely just a, not a column, but it, it, it increases the reflux. reflux on, yeah. On, it's, it's like having a, a little piece of a column yeah. still, kind of. But I can show you a very, picture very if you want. It's quite weird, but it's kind of cool too. Um, yeah, it's basically like having a little condenser that goes back into the base of the still. Yeah. Yeah. Funky little, funky little addition funky. to the still. Funky, yeah, yeah. Right on. Yeah, so I guess thank you all. Yeah, uh, let's have a cheers to all of you coming out on a Thursday yeah. night, Whiskey Society. Thank you, Travis. Salam Shabbat. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you like what you heard, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and review. The Spirit Guide Society is a Spirit Adventures production in association with Bitten from the Apple Productions. Special thanks to Tone Mesa for their post-production and audio services. The show was produced by Andrew Apple and me, Pedro Shanahan. Executive producer, Andrew Abrahamson. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Spirit Guide SOC. We'll be there to answer any questions you have, share what we're drinking, and more. And if you're still thirsty, you can always find more episodes of the show wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to always drink responsibly. That means don't drink to forget, drink to remember. <laughs> <laughs>